0: Because you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, because you have created all things, and by your will they are and were created. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. This morning we're going to be looking at a passage in Paul's letter to the Corinthians because we want to look at some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So far we've seen how the Holy Spirit has been sent to us by our Heavenly Father to help us. That's his primary ministry. We've seen many of the ministries that the New Testament attributes to him, the ministries that he wants to work into our lives. We've also seen how walking in the Spirit is the God-ordained way to defeat the work of the flesh in our lives. And we've realized that apart from the Spirit of God, we have no choice to do anything or no chance to do anything but allow the flesh and demonic activity to destroy our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to overcome the deeds of the flesh. So Paul begins this great chapter with a statement of intent. He doesn't want them to remain ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. So let's read verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. First of all, the word translated spiritual gifts in the New King James, and you'll notice that the word gifts is italicized. That's because it was added. Literally, now concerning spirituals, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. The idea is concerning spiritual things or concerning the things of the spirit, I do not want you to be ignorant. The word ignorant is the word from which we get the word ignoramus. And it means without having knowledge or being ignorant or non-knowing about something. And so the question is, what do we know? What do you know? What do I know about spirituals or about the things of the Spirit? Sometimes uh, we think we know more than we do. And at other times, we think we know far less than we actually do know. So what do we actually know about spirituals or about the things of the Spirit? When Paul came to Ephesus for the first time, he found certain disciples there And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Their response to him was, we have not heard whether there is such a one as the Holy Spirit. So Paul said, well, into what then were you baptized? Well, we were baptized by John's baptism. So Paul corrected them and said, well, John baptized in water. His baptism was a baptism of repentance, telling us that we should believe on the one that would come after him. That is on Jesus Christ. When they heard that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. And here's a group that didn't know anything, really, about the person of the Holy Spirit or about anything that he wanted to do in their lives. And so Paul brought them into quick understanding as he led them to Christ. And there can be ignorance about the identity of the Holy Spirit, as I still hear from time to time Christians referring to the Holy Spirit as an it. That is an ignorant prayer, because the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he, he's the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. There can be ignorance about the purpose of the Holy Spirit, which is to glorify Christ primarily, and then to empower the believer, and then to help the believer just like Jesus helped the original 12 disciples. And so the Holy Spirit's purpose is primarily to glorify Christ and then in our lives through all these ways. There can be ignorance about the ministries of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? What kind of things result from his activity? And there is certainly ignorance about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Are the Holy Spirit's gifts for today? Or are only some of them for today? How are they exercised? And then the big question that so many have, what about the gift of tongues? We're not going to deal with that specifically this morning. Personally, I thank God for the background that God gave to me. Uh, When I came to Christ, um, I was a very new and hungry and zealous believer. And I noticed that there was a family down the street that had bumper stickers that reflected that they were Christians. Give Jesus a chance was one of the bumper stickers on their car. And so I thought, well, they're Christians because Christians were the only ones that had bumper stickers like that in those days. So I went down the street and I knocked on their door and I said, hi, my name is Bill. I'm a neighbor of yours. I saw that you uh, are Christians, So I'd like to have some fellowship. Would you like to have some fellowship? They said, sure. I just happened to step into the home of Jim and Jim Hesterly, whom God has mightily used to instruct many concerning the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And we became good friends. And through that, I was introduced to the Believers' Meetings at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, and then continued to be influenced uh, by the very balanced teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and that's my background. Very happy for that, very blessed by that. But I realize not everyone has had that kind of a background and has been blessed with that kind of balanced teaching. The teaching on the person and work of the Holy Spirit seems to be extreme. There are the extreme camps who say that the Holy Spirit, there are many things that used to be done in the days of the apostles that are no longer done Uh, The focus now is on the knowledge and the study of the Bible. And then over here, on this side, there's the focus on all of the supernatural phenomena of the Holy Spirit to the neglect of Scripture. And, of course, either extreme is an imbalanced position. In fact, the Holy Spirit wants to work in the hearts of people for the purpose of glorifying Christ. And he will do everything that he does in complete consistency and harmony with the word of God. And if a person truly is filled with the Holy Spirit, they'll love the word of God and they'll love Jesus. And if somebody really loves the word of God and loves Jesus, they'll want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's the balance. And so uh, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. And as a pastor, I don't want God's people to be ignorant either concerning spirituals. And so let's look at some of these areas of possible ignorance. First of all, don't be ignorant about the Holy Spirit and dumb idols, verses 2 and 3. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So here's the first thing that we need to understand. Do you know how to discern when it's the Holy Spirit that is speaking? That's the question. Do you know how to discern when it is the Holy Spirit that's speaking? Now what does the Holy Spirit like to talk about? Verse 3. He likes to bear testimony to the fact that Jesus is Lord. That's his great message. And the Holy Spirit will never influence a person to say anything disparagingly against Jesus Christ, anything blasphemously against Jesus Christ. He will never say anything against Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God will testify of Jesus that he is Lord. And he will not testify of Jesus that he is a Lord. He will not testify of Jesus that he is one option for salvation. He will not testify of Jesus in that way at all. He will testify of Jesus that he is Lord of all and that there is only one name given among heaven under earth uh, by which we must be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit will say. In 1 John, in chapter 4, John gives us the very similar test. He said, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Because every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. But every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, this is the spirit of Antichrist that you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. So the test is clear. The Holy Spirit will always say that Jesus, and we're talking about Jesus here, we're talking about an historical individual who was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, lived about 2,000 years ago, lived about 33 years, was crucified, he died and he was buried, and he rose from the dead three days later and appeared to many disciples prior to ascending into heaven. That's who we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus. We're not talking about a spirit of Jesus. We're not talking about a spirit consciousness that is called Jesus. We're talking about the Jesus of the New Testament that was predicted in the Old Testament. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is come in the flesh. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Christ is Messiah or Anointed One, the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophecies. So every spirit that confesses the historical Jesus of the New Testament the fulfillment of all of those messianic prophecies of the old testament that he actually came to be in human flesh god took on human form and he's a god he's the god man now every spirit that confesses that is of god every spirit that does not is not of god well that cleanly divides humanity because there are people who either believe that or don't and that's the intention that's what the holy spirit will confess But he will not confess anything differently than that about Jesus Christ. So that's how we tell when the Holy Spirit is speaking. So somebody can't deliver some sort of a prophetic word, and it has something to say that is against the teaching of Christ, the teaching of the New Testament regarding Jesus, and that, having been said, is really the Spirit of God. The Spirit didn't author that. The Spirit will always glorify Jesus. That's the test. And then we look at ignorance concerning different gifts or ministries or activities of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 4 through 6 with me. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all and all. So the first phrase, the first sentence there, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So here's the question. Do you know how many gifts of the Spirit there are? Have you ever gone through the lists of the New Testament that describe the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And uh, where do you find those listings? What do you know about the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and where to find them? And I'll just give you a hint. There are several key and main lists. There's this one here in 1 Corinthians 12. The next main list is in Romans, the 12th chapter, and there is another description in 1 Corinthians 14 and also in 1 Peter chapter 4 and then also in Ephesians chapter 4. But how many gifts of the Spirit are there? They're found in those texts. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. That's the next phrase that we just read. And so the question is, do you know some of the ways the gifts of the Holy Spirit our exercise. Look at this. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. So you can have someone who has the teaching gift that'll have many different kinds of ministries within that teaching gift. Uh, A pastor uh, is to be a pastor teacher. And so there'll be that manifestation of the teaching gift. There will be those who teach within a more structured academic environment, like in a Bible college or in a seminary, perhaps, or a school of theology or a school of ministry. That would be another ministry of the teaching gift. There are those who teach within children's ministries or within junior high school ministries or high school ministries or women's ministries. Very many different ministries that would be available for the person that has the teaching gift as well as the one who has the prophetic gift. A prophecy can be given one-on-one or one-on-seven or eight Or in a larger group setting. If there is a believers meeting. Sort of an environment. Many different operations of the gift of prophecy. Uh, Gifts of prophecy can be exercised. By writing something down in a piece of paper. And handing it as a note to someone. Or it can be. used verbally and and spoken verbally uh, one-on-one. Or it can be on the telephone or it can be in an email. I mean, there are many different ways the the ministry or the gift of prophecy can be exercised. So there are differences of ministries. So do you know some of the ways the gifts of the Holy Spirit are exercised? It's a very, very diverse uh, portfolio that the Holy Spirit has in these things. And there are... diversities of activities the the next sentence but it is the same god who works all in all so the question is do you know what determines the scope or the level or effectiveness of the exercise of any gift to the spirit in a person's life somebody has the gift of teaching who decides and what determines how effective that teaching ministry is going to be Somebody has the gift of prophecy. Somebody has the gift of help. Someone has the gift of showing mercy. Somebody has the gifts of healings. Uh, what determines? Who determines how effective or the scope of that ministry and what it's going to be? Who decides? Uh, the other uh, statement would be similar to that, and, and, and that is how effective are these going to be? And the answer that is to that question is found in that passage, there are diversities of activities, verse 6, but it is the same God who works all in all. In other words, God decides. He decides. He decides, you know, the effectiveness of the, of the ministry he's given me or you. Now, this is a very liberating thing. I, I love this idea. Uh, back in uh, the early days of the ministry in Monterey, you know, I came from a very large church Costa Mesa Calvary Chapel it was a very, very large church. I was in a home fellowship down there that had about 60 or 100 people in it, somewhere in between there always. Uh, but that, you know, that and that was my main source of fellowship. But the church as a whole, at that time, they said there were about 10,000 families that were regular tithers to the church that were attending there. So it was a large church. And so... You know, in Southern California, the Calvary Chapels that were being started in different communities were were large churches. They tended to sprout up in big cities, and they became large churches and two, three, four, ten thousand people. So we went up to Monterey, and you know, after a couple of years, there weren't ten thousand people. And not that I expected that, but I I felt. Uh, well, I was discouraged, let's put it that way, and, and wondering if whether we were doing, what we were doing was legitimate or, or important or helpful. Uh, was, this a, was this an impacting, significant thing for the kingdom of God? And so I, I was wrestling with all of those things, and in my heart, without really wanting to, I was comparing myself to other ministries, And that's always a stupid thing to do. And I was being stupid doing it, but I was getting discouraged as a result, you know, of comparing myself. Until I came to this passage and I really started looking at it and I realized what Paul was saying here. Yes, many different gifts. Yes, many different ministries. Yes, many different activities. And then I looked at the Greek word translated activities. And this turned everything for me. It's the word which could be, if you wanted to transliterate it, could be translated energizings, energizings. And I realized that the reason why that church there has 10,000 is because the Lord has energized that pastor and given him the ability to oversee a work like that and those that are working with him. And the reason why there were uh, the responses in Monterey that there were was because that's what the Lord had given me. And I realized it all came from the hand of God. What happened to him came from the hand of God. It was God's decision. What's been happening to me came from the hand of God. That's God's decision. And I thought, well, this is great. That settles everything. Came from the hand of God. I don't have to worry about it anymore. He decided. And so I became very, very much at peace. Uh, within the ministry and just realizing this is what God had for me in fact eventually when the church really did start to grow and we built our own building and bought land and all that type of thing the newspaper came out to interview me and they wanted to ask me some questions for a newspaper article they were going to print on the opening of the new church well the church had been in existence for 17 years we didn't open anything we just shifted our location Anyway, they wanted to ask those questions. And one of the questions was, uh, how does it feel to finally have your dream fulfilled? And I said, well, I don't think you know me very well because this has never been my dream. My dream has been to fulfill the will of God in my life and to see God work in people's hearts. We're really glad that we've got a new place to meet. and This is going to be a whole lot better than what we had before. We're happy about that but it wasn't the dream. And I wouldn't have been able to say that had the Lord not changed my heart and shown me that the Holy Spirit is the one that decides what and the scope of the things that we do. And for me to just come in line with his purposes is the wisest thing that I can possibly do. That doesn't mean there isn't a human element in all this. The guy that's the teacher should really work hard at his teaching ministry. He should study, he should prepare, he should try to organize his thoughts, he should try to prepare so that he can present what he presents in a very clear way so that people can understand it. And thus it's true with all the gifts of the Spirit, there is a human side of it. But when everything's said and done and we've done our best and committed the rest to the Lord, he's the one that determines the ultimate scope of all of these things. then we come to a next area of possible ignorance, and that is, what are the gifts of the Spirit? In verses 8 through 10, some of them are listed. For to one, uh, or excuse me, let me go back. Verse 7, I don't want to forget verse 7. Everyone receives one for all. One what? Well... But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So, did you know that you have at least one spiritual gift? Some believers don't know that. Did you know that you have received the enablement or the gifting of at least one spiritual gift? So the next question is, do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? And if you don't know what it is, how are you going to find out? And I I can give you a hint that no one will find it out without involvement, without just diving in and being committed. Once you start getting involved and once you start diving in and being committed, then things naturally start to to flow from your life that are a blessing to others. So everyone receives one for all. Say, thank you, Lord, for giving me what you've given me. (laughs) You know, that's the bottom line. Okay. Another area, verses 8 through 10. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And so... This is a partial listing of the Spirit's gifts. So the question is, do you know how to describe each of these gifts? Or how to define them? What is, for example, the word of wisdom? Notice the, the statement. It's very clear. It doesn't say that there's the gift of wisdom. It says there's the gift of the word of wisdom. There's a difference. Wisdom is attainable by anyone. In the book of Proverbs, if I cry out for wisdom and lift up my voice for understanding, then I will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth flows wisdom and understanding. So wisdom is available to anyone who puts the Lord first and learns how to revere the Lord. And all of us should be seeking God for wisdom. But this is the word of wisdom. It's a different gift altogether. And the word of wisdom is a word that God gives to a person of wisdom in order to minister to different situations. It's something to where you don't know the answer, and a person's in a fix, in a situation where they're seeking answers, and the Lord gives you insight, and you sharing that insight unlocks it for them. It just makes it clear. Wow. That was from the Lord. That's the word of wisdom. Or it can be an answer to a skeptic's question even. Jesus operated in the word of wisdom frequently. And you can see it as they were asking him questions. Like the Sadducees that came to him and asked him this theoretical question about a man uh, or about a woman who was married to seven brothers. And they all died. And in the resurrection, whose wife would she be? Remember that question? Well, the, the Sadducees asked that question because they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead and they were trying to make a mockery of the whole thing. So they were trying to trap Jesus in a statement. So Jesus said, well, you're, you do err because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. In the resurrection, men aren't marrying and they're not given in marriage, but they're like the angels of God. But concerning the resurrection from the dead, haven't you ever read what the Bible says, that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the living, or the dead, but he's the God of the living, because all live for him. So proving right out of the Old Testament that God is the God of the living, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive today, and so therefore there must be such a thing as resurrection from the dead. And that was a word of wisdom, completely answering his critics. And by the time he was done with his critics... Uh, No one dared ask him any questions anymore, the Bible tells us, because of the word of wisdom. And so that's just one example where there is a need for understanding about the gifts of the Spirit and what the nature and description of these gifts actually is. And you go down to verse 10, where it talks about different kinds of tongues. We know that there are tongues of men and tongues of angels. We know that there can be known languages that are known by one of the many thousands of languages that are spoken uh, in the world. And there can be tongues of angels. But what's the purpose of this speaking in tongues? It's not for the public church service. The purpose primarily of the speaking in tongues is for the, pers- the believer's private devotional life, speaking in to the Lord privately that's the main benefit Paul said I speak in tongues more than all of you yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my own understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue that no one can understand so what's the purpose of the gift of tongues well we're edified through the process of speaking in tongues we're built up in our faith and with that one can pray in the spirit very effectively So there's the need to learn. There's the need to grow so that we can describe each of these gifts of the Spirit. There's another possible area of ignorance, and that's why Paul is writing to them so that they would know. And then there's the sovereign Spirit. He decides who receives what. We've sort of alluded to this already. Verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually As he wills, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So the question is, do you know that God made you uniquely? Did you know that God has fashioned you for specific giftings or enablements? And did you know that God has decided himself how he wants to express himself through you and through your life? Now just think of that one statement. And think of this in, in regard, with regard to yourself. God has uniquely created me. Just say that to yourself in your mind. God has uniquely created me. And then say this to yourself in your mind. God has decided how he wants to express himself through my life. Just say that to yourself. God has decided how he wants to express himself through my life. Now, isn't that exciting? The living God, the God that created the universe, has a plan by which he wants to express who he is through the way I live my life. I want to find out what that is. I want to know it. I want to live it. I want to live that kind of life. And that's the kind of excitement that we ought to have concerning these things. And our text tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one that works all these things, He's the one who makes the decisions about all of these things. But did you also know that you're one of many, as the passage tells us, part of the body of Christ? We're part of a team. How important is teamwork? Having a coaching background, I can tell you, teamwork is huge. And it's interesting, just, you know, in the local pro team, the San Francisco Giants, they were heading towards the end of the season now, and they wanted to get better for the last month and a half, two months of the season. So the free agent market was available, and so they went out, and they got a couple of, of uh, short-term players that they could sign for the last couple months of the season, One, a power-hitting outfielder, and and the other, a a shortstop that could uh, hit the ball pretty well as well. And so they brought them in. Well, apparently, a couple of the veteran Giants players that were already on the roster, that had played with them for some time, weren't too happy that the new guys were brought in. Why did we need to bring these guys in? What was wrong with us? Weren't we getting the job done? And there was some disgruntlement and some division within the clubhouse. And it didn't go away. And they weren't too happy with the additions. And what it did is it created a sour environment within the team. And now the team was divided. So what did the Giants do? They had to let these unhappy veterans go. The grumpy guys left. They had to let them go. And they were trying to restore unity on the team. What they were trying to restore was what they had last year which is a one for all and all for one attitude. I mean, it's pretty amazing that that team of 2010, the Giants team, actually won the World Series. They weren't the most talented franchise in baseball history, but it all came together at the same time and they, they gelled as a team and they were they just believed that in the last inning, If they were anywhere near close to the lead, they could capture the lead, and they could sustain the lead, and they'd win the game. And they came behind an awful lot, even though they were a pretty anemic offensive force. They didn't score many runs, in other words. Yet they won. Now, if you're not a baseball fan, probably all of that has no relevance to you at all. But I'm a huge baseball fan, so I understand every word I just said. So if you don't understand it, that's okay. The idea is teamwork's important, division isn't real good. Okay, that's the basic idea. I could have said that in just one real quick sentence, and we'd have been done with it. But I don't get to talk about baseball on Sunday morning very much, so that way I'm going for it. Did you know that when you were converted and born again, the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ? Verse 13. Did you know that he's the one that made you a member of the church? That's a huge idea. Just within your mind, just say, the Holy Spirit has made me a member of the body of Christ. He signed me up. Just say that within your mind. You can't quit. Not if you're a true believer. You can't quit the body of Christ. Because he signed you up. He's not going to unsign you up. He's not going to give you your unconditional release. Another baseball term. <laughs> He's going to keep you on the club. Another baseball term. (laughs) Because he puts you there, right? Let me be honest here. It's been my observation that a lot of believers in the Santa Cruz area drift around kind of like it's their choice and their choice alone as to who and where and how they're supposed to serve. The result is, is that There's very little loyalty to others, very little team attitude. It's all about them as individuals. People here, culturally, whatever has created it, I don't even want to try to surmise it, but people here are frighteningly independent and not necessarily in a healthy way. Now, you think think about that. If you have never thought that thought before, just think about that and see whether or not it's true. Now, personally, I'm scared of that attitude, and so is my wife, Sherry. We're not only scared of it for the body of Christ, we're scared of it for our own lives. When we were in St. Helena and we knew that we were going to relocate to Santa Cruz a couple of years ago, we both had a passion to have a place to connect with other believers. I was doing a ministry to other pastors. I, was, I could have been very disconnected. I could have had a situation where I wasn't going to any church at all, ever, or involved with any group of people because I had lots of things to do, and Sherry and I would have lots of places to go and travel to and, and pastors and churches to minister to. There's a lot going on, but we really wanted and needed two things, and we knew it. First of all, we needed an Antioch. You say, what does that mean? Well, an Antioch is like a sending church, a church that knew what we were doing and knew what we were up to and that cared about it and wanted to be involved, at least in prayer, sort of a reporting base. And so we were looking for that. And we also wanted a place that when we were in town we were going to have an opportunity to connect with people's lives and minister to people. Because we felt it was really important to connect and commit to other people. And so we prayed about that and we looked around and we sought different options and so on. And Pastor Dave and the pastors here extended to us very graciously that opportunity. Yeah, you can be part of our body here and you can connect with us and... And we'd love to have you here whenever you're here. And we'll ask, you know, yes. And we felt so blessed by that and so welcomed. And, of course, we had at that time no opportunity that we'd eventually pastor the church. But uh, we were very happy to be here and serving in those capacities. And we had a home. We had a home base. But why is it that there are so many that don't have that same heart to have a home base? A place where they're just locked in. And they're going to work through all the stuff that has to do with being in a family. And being in a family has stuff. And we have to work through that stuff, right? And uh, so there's, there's that tendency, I think, to shy away from those things and to move away. That that's not the New Testament heart. That's not the heart of the New Testament. It's not the heart of the passage that we've just read here. Uh, there's a compelling argument for consistency and for commitment and for covenant relationships between believers. So maybe those are some of the areas in which there has been ignorance in your life. So we're going to continue with this study for a few more weeks at least and try to clear up some of these questions if we can. Now, here's another thing I want to share with you. I could have done these studies on Wednesday nights. That would have been typical, and in, in many situations, you know, a series on the personal work of the Holy Spirit would be done during a midweek Bible study or in a home group or a special seminar. But I became convinced, and I believe I was compelled by the Spirit to teach these things on Sunday morning when more people are present. I sensed that that would be the wise thing to do because that would give us opportunity to influence more people. Our response to what we're learning should be very humble instead of thinking i don't know anything about the person work of the holy spirit take note of and keep track of what you do know you probably know a lot more than you think or instead of saying i know everything there is to know about the person work of the holy spirit well be careful about that because you probably know a whole lot less than you think that you know we all need to be humble about these things right And just approach the scripture and say, Lord, we're just wanting to be in love with you. That's all we really want. We want to walk with you. Uh, There is ignorance in our lives in certain ways. There's other knowledge that you've given us in certain ways. We want you to help us. In any case, it's our responsibility to hunger and thirst after righteousness. To really hunger and thirst after the right thing. Which includes being hungry and thirsty for the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives. And listen, if we don't have that hunger or thirst, if you don't have that hunger or thirst to have the Holy Spirit work in and through your life, then can I just tell you gently, you need to repent and ask the Lord to give you that hunger and thirst. Guess he will. Because it's essential that we have a close walk with the Holy Spirit. Would everyone agree with that? Okay. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for um, this study and, and just for the focus that the Word of God places on the person and work of the Holy Spirit to lead us into a very liberated kind of a life with you. A life of fruitfulness. And we confess that we don't know as much as we think we do. And we probably know a lot more than we think we do. All of it comes from you. We give you the credit. And we pray that you would use the knowledge that we have or don't have. And lead us into great practice. Great godliness. Great fruitfulness, Lord. Great blessing that comes from you. Thank you for it. And even right now, let's just quiet our hearts and just say, Lord, give me that hunger. And if you haven't had that hunger, if your heart has grown cold, tell the Lord you're sorry, admit it to him. Change your mind and let him give you a new heart. Do it now for his sake and for the glory of God and for your own sake. And for the sake of others, the body needs you to fully invest, to fully invest. So, Lord, speak into the hearts of your people now. Let us interact with you. Thank you, Lord. As we're continuing to pray, remember that the Holy Spirit's ministry is to glorify Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not yet entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know that your sins are forgiven and you don't know that you're going to go to heaven when you die. Well, you can know. If you'll turn your life over to Jesus and believe that he died for you on the cross, then you can know that you have eternal life. The Holy Spirit will convince you. i 're just continuing to pray now. Believers, be praying. Just another word on that subject. I was doing a memorial service yesterday, and the woman that was being remembered was such an amazing woman. And... Uh, Just so many great things being said about her and about her life. and Just the kind of woman that everyone would have wanted for a mother. Just a a wonderful woman. And it dawned on me that the assumption of everyone there most likely was that because of the good way she lived, certainly she was going to heaven. Because of all the great things that she did in all the way she treated people, certainly she was going to go to heaven. Now, in this particular woman's case, she did receive Jesus Christ, so yes, she has the hope of eternal life. But the assumption was, by some that spoke, was that the lifestyle that she lived is what enabled her to have eternal life and go to heaven when she died. That's not the case. If you are thinking that that it's the good way you've lived or you know the good works that you've performed that that's what qualifies you for heaven that's not true because none of our works are nearly enough to pay for the sins we've committed there's only one payment for our sins that can actually do the job of paying for our sins And that's the work that Jesus did for us by dying for us on the cross. He took your place. And it's only through trust in him and in his completed work at Calvary that one can have eternal life. And if you've never believed that with all of your heart and committed to that, you can this morning by inviting Jesus into your life. So I would just ask the question, is there anyone here that has never made that commitment and wants to make that commitment this morning? Would you raise your hand high so I can see it? You want to make Jesus your Lord, you want to believe in him as your Savior and as the one that will forgive your sins. Just raise your hand high if you've never made that commitment so I can see it and we'll pray with you. Anyone this morning? Lord, even for those that are hearing this that aren't in this room, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work and lead individuals into the knowledge of the gospel and into the need that they have to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Thank you for this time you've given us together. And again, we pray as we did earlier. God, we ask you to bless our country, bless our nation bring a revival, bring a return to you. Bring a national consciousness and awareness of who you are again into the hearts of the American people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.